truth is stranger than fiction. And this is the proof. This is Ripley's. Believe it or not. Bedrooms in the cantons of Grison, Switzerland, have tiny windows opened when the occupant is dying, so his soul can escape. Believe it or not. In a moment, I'll tell you about cows who grow their own gold teeth. Not to be confused with the goose who laid the golden eggs were the cows in the state of Washington who actually grew gold teeth. Amazing, but a matter of fact. These bovines grazed in the Alder Creek Basin near a famous gold mine, and as they chewed, they picked up gold dust embedded in the ground. The chemical combination of lime in the cow's teeth and the gold dust created a perfect and permanent and valuable gold dental crown. Believe it or not. <laughs> Monster B, and welcome to Tip Radio, episode 11, for October 17th, 2009. If you're a first-time listener, this is a Potluck Roundtable series on Hacker Public Radio. And I uh, just want to let everybody know, Tip Radio also has an AUG feed. Just navigate your browser to tipradio.info, and underneath the cow logo, click on Feed Bag. Okay, let's meet tonight's roundtable. Klaatu? Hello, everyone. Peter 64. G'day. Asmuth. Ah, good evening, Monster B. J-Man. Hello. 330. Howdy, howdy. And Pegwall. Hey. And I just got a, a quick announcement here. Uh, World of Goo has turned one year old. And to celebrate, 2D Boy has a special offer until October 19th, which is Monday. You can get the, the game for any price you want. You just go over wow. to the website and click on buy, and if you want to like pay them a penny, a dollar, five bucks, whatever, twenty dollars, you can get the game. And it's only good until Monday, so this is only good for our AUG listeners and our live listeners, because by the time people in HPR hear this, it's going to be expired. That's a great game too. I've played it on a friend's computer. It's really fun. I think I'm going to go ahead and buy it for ten bucks. That seems fair, doesn't it? It's a year old. Yeah, and it's like native. Linux support, which is pretty cool. Does it work on 64-bit? Ooh, good question. That's a very good question. I'll probably buy it anyway, just uh, just to have it around. I could I could at least play it on my triple EPC or something. All right. How about that feedback, Klaatu? We we got one, didn't we? Uh, yeah, we did actually. It's from um from 5150. That's the person's email uh, handle, and they say um that uh, Klaatu inquired as to the profit incentive for the ViewCat, uh, which, uh, this is me, just um, 
it was that Radio Shack thing that people were telling me about one episode, a couple episodes ago, some kind of scanner that they were giving out at Radio Shack. Uh, and 5150 says, it wasn't so much to look up product pages using the item barcode. I think that was an afterthought and only worked for participating advertisers. Advertisers and publishers, Parade Magazine was a big one, would include a barcode at the bottom of an ad or article in place of or in conjunction with the to learn more, go to this URL tag. Uh, advertisers had discovered many of their customers were simply incapable of reading a URL and typing it into the address bar of their browser. So ViewCat was just a way to connect web pages to the print media. Today I still have customers who can't load a web page unless it is linked to whatever home page the system came with. I tried and never did find uh, a way to use mine as generic as a generic barcode scanner. I know it's still somewhere at the bottom of my closet. Next time I uncover it, I'll find out if Linux recognizes it. That's the email about ViewCat. Fascinating information. Well, I just remember when I had that thing, I could scan anything in the in the cupboard or, or anything that had a barcode, and it would, you know, a web page would fire up. Ah, okay. I don't really know that much about barcodes. I don't know how much information you can store in a barcode. So possibly they started associating websites with more barcodes than maybe advertised, or um, that scanner was just translating anything into some random website. Was it a pretty random website, do you remember, or was it something actually connected to what you would scan? It was connected to what you would scan. I mean, if you scanned a Mountain Dew can, yeah. it, it would take you to the uh, Mountain Dew website. Okay. Yeah, maybe they're just packing more information into those things than than uh, people realize. Either way, it's a weird, weird idea, I think, but I can see how, yeah, literally some people just can't seem to navigate their web browser, so they would need, like, some hardware interface for that. I've seen people struggle with that URL bar before. All right. Thanks for that feedback, and Klaatu, thanks for reading it. Um, and what's your story for today or topic? Boot. Boot.kernel.org. It's a very, very cool little project. Uh, obviously, something... I don't know, sponsored by or under the the wing of um, kernel.org, which is the page where we all get our Linux kernel from, one way or another. And um, boot.kernel.org is a project to make, from what I can gather, it's it's to make pixie booting just really, really simple. Uh, Because basically all you do is download an image file of boot.kernel.org, like their little, I guess they're calling it BKO, and I think it's like, I could be wrong, but it, I mean, it's a tiny, tiny little download that you have to do. Um, and then you can boot a computer using this uh, boot file, and it will it will essentially boot, you know, as long as you know what network you are able to boot to, it will boot via the interwebs to some kind of live environment where you can actually either install Linux from or maybe diagnose things from or whatever just depending. Right now they've got like Debian, a Debian environment, Ubuntu, damn small Linux, Canopics, and Fedora 11. So is it a full desktop or just a shell that you boot into? Actually a full desktop, well it depends. Like um, I know that Fedora 11 it says it's just single user mode and I think it's just a shell, but like damn small Linux you actually get the full desktop that you boot to. So it just depends on which one you're you're choosing, and presumably which which like, because you can also use the little, I guess it's called G Pixie G G P X 
E. You can use that also to just boot into any, um, I guess, Pixie boot environment. So if you have, if you know the address of the Debian, you know, you know net install server, you can use you can just use gpxe to boot there. But in terms of what they're doing at boot.kernel.org, yeah, it's, you actually do get a, a full desktop in some instances. Okay, this is pretty neat. So you can put it on a yeah. CD or a USB. Yeah. That's cool. Or a floppy. <laughs> right. If people still use them. Apparently, yes. So this image you download, it has all this on there. It has Debian, Ubuntu, damn small Linux, Canopics, and Fedora all in one image, or do you have to go out and download um, all that stuff separate? Well, it's it's on the server, if I'm not mistaken. All all you're doing is downloading the a a I guess the shell to enable you to boot, you know, via a network. And you you can go into uh whatever server with these live environments on it uh, that you choose. So these are remote servers that they're supplying you or supplying the person using it or do you put it on your own server somewhere? No, they're yeah, they're they they are supplying the server is remote uh, unless of course you want to put it on your own in which case you can do that but then I I guess you don't technically need this necessarily if you're if you've got your own pixie server I mean at least the the Toshiba that I recently acquired has something where you know in the BIOS you can set okay look look at the network card to see if there's a local environment to boot from so so I wouldn't need this but if you want to be able to boot off of some remote you know server with a live environment on it you know, off in Washington University or something, you could do that with JIT, this GPXE. It's like a 220 kilobyte download. I mean, it's it's nothing. It's just, from what I can tell, it's basically a really kind of fancy bootloader. Well, it sounds pretty neat, but I'm trying to understand what it's for. You know, what is it just really to try out things? I think it would be more of like a diagnosis tool and also a, probably an installation uh, tool as well. Pretty neat. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of cool because... Um, this kind of flexibility, I mean, I don't know. If if you can look at a project and say, well, yeah, so, you know, what would I use this for? I mean, that means you've by now gotten so many options in, in Linux and the way that you can install it or, or use it on a computer um, that you're literally running out of things to do with all your options. And, I mean, that's a good thing. That means that we've got a lot of options. And that's not something that every OS, I think, really has that many ways to boot you know, your computer into that OS. I mean, Linux just, I mean, there's just practically anything you have. You can, you know, if you've got a little bit of know-how, you can boot the thing into Linux one way or another. That's a good thing. Not that it's something you'll need every day of your life, but the one time you need it, you're going to love that it's there. Yeah, I'm going to have to try it out just to uh, fully understand. Yeah, I'm going to try it out uh, pretty soon here. All right, cool. Anything else on this one? Uh, Nope, that's it. Just something I came across and thought was really cool. Nice find. And how about you, Peter64? Yeah, I haven't really done much this week. One thing I did want to have a play with was GNOME 3. Now, running Arch, it's been in the AUR, uh, where you, you can uh, use the Get build, I think it is, and pull it down. And I decided to install it on the laptop and have a play with it. But doing it through Arch and AUR took me bloody half a day because you have to go through and... Well, I had to edit quite a few of the pack builds to get it to work. I had to read a fair bit of documentation. And when I finally did get it running, it was very slow on the laptop. But uh, I think that's because, for some reason, under Arch, the Intel drivers um, aren't working particularly well. I think 
Cloud 2, you mentioned that that could be the version because uh, I was running the 2.9. I did go back to the 2.7 and it, it did um, make it uh, slightly better, but typically it was nowhere as good as under uh, Zeus. But anyway, with, with GNOME 3, I was talking to the J-Man and he pointed out that one of the best ways to sort of install it and have a look, and, and when we're talking GNOME 3, we're talking just the shell, which I understand that, what's that mean, Jaylene? It doesn't actually have it or any or of the applications that you can expect? Or? Yeah, the, uh, the way they have it laid out is with 2.28, uh, most distros will have the shell in the repos. And you can just run that on top of 2.28. But really, once they get going, uh, you know, they have to add in support for their uh, zeitgeist uh, searching. And uh, they have geolocation libraries and all that stuff. Yeah, and what I can understand, or what I'm not totally sure this is right, but we should see it first in Ubuntu 10.04 and Fedora 13, from what I've been able to read. But anyway, there's the simplest way to install it, and I, I hadn't heard of this, and and uh, I was talking to a few blokes actually in the IRC channel and they hadn't come across it either. Is that JH build, J. Lindsay, that you pointed out. So if you go over to live.name.org forward slash JH build and really if you follow the instructions on the page, it's, it's a matter of, I think, about four steps. One thing's very important though if you want to try this out, you have to get rid of the GStreamer bad plugin. And trust me, if you don't, uh, you won't get this thing built. And if you're doing it through the Arch AUR, you have to remove that too. There's obviously some problem there they've got to fix. Now, understand that I'm not a GNOME user. In actual fact, um, uh, yeah, I, I don't think I've ever used the... Ah, oh, uh, yeah, sorry, don't get over to live.gnome.org, jhbuild. Go over to live.gnome.org uh, forward slash capital G GNOME shell, it is, is where you'll find the... Um, simple instructions on how to do it. Anyway, understand I'm not a, uh, a GNOME user, but I just wanted to have a look at it. And after playing around with it for probably 15, 20 minutes, I must have, I must say, people who have left GNOME, and from what I understand there's quite a few, gone over to KDE 4, uh, purely, I'd, I'd say, a lot of that's to do with all the eye candy that KDE 4 offers. I see a lot of people going back. Now, that's only my personal opinion because... Looks-wise, it is, it's pretty. Now, usability-wise, it Peter, depends. Yeah. Sorry. Now, are there any screenshots anywhere, like, online that we can see the, the beauty that is GNOME 3? Uh, yeah, I think if you go, if you just go to uh, that live GNOME.org, GNOME shell on the right-hand side, I think it might point them out, does it? Okay, cool. I'll check Somewhere that. around there. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's actually got it. Halfway down that page, you'll see screenshots cool. of okay. current status. But anyway, what, one thing I felt found a little bit disconcerting, when you go up the top, you have your taskbar, and on the left-hand side, it has activities, which is typically like, you know, your KDE start menu. When you click on that, it goes into this overview mode, which is where I think in KDE Cloud 2, they might call it sort of, it's like that mosaic when all your applications become small yeah. sort of icons, you know what I mean, yeah. on, on the desktop. So, yeah, so if you've got four desktops, um, workspaces, and then you move up to your activities, it goes into this mosaic look, or what did I call it before? Uh, Expose, I think. 
Yeah, that's what I was looking for, Expo yep. today. Yeah. It goes into this overview mode. Um, now, I didn't Although get that used to that. that is a trademarked term by Apple. Oh, is it? Okay, yeah. But people people understand. Yeah, like I said, it, it's a little bit disconcerting at first, and after playing with it 15, 20 minutes, I still wasn't used to it. So every time I went up to this activities, all the all the desktops appeared, and, and I got this menu down the left-hand side. But give it a while, and I think it would certainly grow on you. But the first impressions, um, yeah, I think it has moved GNOME into the 21st century because I always thought GNOME is a little bit older looking and honestly not particularly impressive. But once again, I never used it that much anyway. Also, I've read a lot of things like, um, you know, they say that you know it's going to improve your workflow and the usability of your whole GUI. Now, yeah, that could be the case because when you go into this overview mode, it's quite easy to drag applications from one workspace to the other. However, if you've been used to Fluxbox or something and, and you know, you set up your keys file to simply hit keys and send send applications to workspace as well, I really don't see that as a, a usability improvement, but maybe for GNOME it is. Challenger, you, what do you reckon? You've been running it for quite some time. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of people are going to like it and some won't, but for the most part, it, it's it's pretty nice as an upgrade. Yeah, eye candy-wise, it's certainly... Well, from what I've seen of GNOME, and I hadn't seen GNOME for quite some time, it's a hell of an improvement. I mean, obviously, I think people know that I, I'm a Fluxbox man. I can't see myself changing, but if I was a KDE user, I think I could quite happily get used to GNOME pretty quickly, that's for sure. There, so we'll talk about it again later on when it gets a bit more established. But certainly, anyway, there are the links. Go on, they're very easy to build with that JH build. Yeah, it seems pretty cool. Um, trying to figure out if um, if you're right about the whole people switching away from GNOME running to KDE. I thought it's kind of the inverse, actually. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I seem to think a lot of... Well, I, I would, if I was a KDE user, I would purely move to GNOME 3 just to get away from whatever 330's using. So... <laughs> <laughs> so so he's going over to KDE. I'm going the other way. Yeah, so, Clark, do you think a lot of people left KDE when it went to 4 over to GNOME? Famously, Linus Torvalds did, and, and then Larry Bushy from uh, Going Linux did, I know. Um, yes, I, I don't know. My impression was that, that some people were jumping ship. I, I, never, I never heard anyone say it the other way. Uh, That's yeah, not true. I thought... one, one person went, went the other way. Yeah, I thought originally a lot of people, when it was just 4, a lot of people didn't like it. Although, yeah. um, what's, what's Sergio, what's his name, the KDE4 bloke? Aaron Sago. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, he said that 4 is not for the average user. He made, he went to great depths to say that. I remember him saying that on Tilts, that, you know, 4.0 is not going to be for the average user and all this sort of stuff. And people still complained about it, even after they're told. That's what amazed me. Well, I guess that's and, the other question then. I mean, when is GNOME 3.0? Zero, you know, when is that, are they, I mean, there's this whole desire, I guess, within open source to release, early release often, but I, I imagine they're going to try to avoid a KDE4-like backlash, so I wonder what they're going to be doing about that. I actually did read something of that somewhere, but I can't even remember what they said. But in saying that, Jalenji, the switch from GNOME, what's out at the moment? Is it 2.28 or 2.26? What's the actual... Yeah, yeah. The new release is two point two eight. Yeah. 
So it, the release, the jump from 2.28 to 3 is going to be nowhere near as big as... With 3.5 to 4 was just almost a total rewrite of KDE, wasn't it? Correct, yeah. And, and, that, and part of that, from what I understand, is because Qt itself was a big change. You know, Qt 4 from Qt 3 was such a huge jump. I'm wondering... I mean, I know GNOME 3 is using Clutter a lot. Um, are, are there, are there going to be big gaps in, like, you know, GTK 2 to GTK 3, or is there no GTK 3 if this is just GNOME 3? Uh, yeah, I have no idea. It, it's not going to create a big problem. Uh, GNOME, they're pretty conservative anyway, and they stated from the beginning that they want this to be a gradual and smooth transition. Although it seems and like their UI is changing really, really drastically. I mean, at least from these screenshots that I'm seeing. Yeah, the or UI change is pretty big, but yeah. they don't think that it's going to throw users uh, nearly as bad as KDE. Okay. But with KDE, it wasn't just you. It was the applications made. They seemed to make all the applications made that jump too, didn't they? Whereas this is still going to run the, a lot of the 2.28 applications. Is that the way it works? Yeah, everything will pretty much work the same as they move across. Yeah. Now, I know we discussed this too. I can't remember if it was on Linux Cranks or TIT about this is going to use um, OpenGL to draw the windows and all that sort of stuff, isn't it? You're going to need a 3D, a 3D capable card to run this, aren't you? Yeah, like, the, uh, the presenter at Ohio Linux Fest mentioned that they're trying to do a fallback to... Uh, a non-accelerated metacity, but I'm not sure how that's going to work. Yeah, well, just looking at the performance, and, and once again, when I say this, this is still only what... Uh, this is is this beta? What, what would you even call this? This is nowhere ready for release yet. Um, on the laptop, yeah, it, it ran really sad. So, I mean, obviously they might improve that. Yeah, I certainly wouldn't go and charge it on that alone. So what, I mean... Just from from all the different screenshots that I'm seeing, I'm trying to wrap my head around this. Is there a traditional desktop? I mean, everything that they're showing me has kind of weird interface and like stuff down the side. And uh, I mean, is there like just a normal desktop? Yeah, um, yeah I don't know, Clarita. That's what you're seeing in those screenshots is what I've got running. Every time you move up to that activities, um, you get all that menu stuff down the left hand side. Oh, okay, so this is well, that's the answer then, probably. So that's the activities. Like environment, but there is a traditional yeah, that's right. desktop environment. Yeah, once once you move away from that, like you might open an application or whatever, then all of a sudden that all disappears and you're back to just your desktop. It okay. has that menu bar at the top, menu bar at the bottom, and your whole workspace in front of you. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. That, that whole uh, that whole overlay is to try to get people to realize that they have multiple desktops. Right. I, right. I don't think many people actually use them. Yeah, people see, like, all their applications disappear off their desktop or off their screen, you know, and they just don't understand what's happened. And when you start it for the first time, you're only going to have one desktop until you click that little plus, and it starts adding more. Oh, interesting. That's, a, that's an interesting idea. I like that. So maybe I'm wrong on this, but is is this going to make Compiz, like, obsolete, or at least on GNOME? Like, yeah, it sounds like they're integrating all that stuff into GNOME. They're kind of, like, merging with that project or whatever. So, so the you know once this comes out, the only window manager you can use Compass on is probably uh, XFCE. Joe, Luigi, you mentioned something about that when we talked before, didn't you? That, yeah, um, the uh, more or less said too bad. Yeah, the Compass guys were talking to the GNOME guys, and well, it, it pretty much turned into we don't see a future for the Compass project. <laughs> yeah, that's a bit sad. 
They instigated more or less all this, didn't they, really? Yeah, yeah, but I mean, you know, they're still going to probably be able to, I mean, their work was, was a lot of it was experimental anyway, and and they just just kind of threw out, or it seemed to me like they just threw out all these cool ideas for effects and stuff, and I mean, they can still do that, I'm sure, I mean, they can probably just, they can probably kind of work with GNOME, I would imagine, on on effects. I mean, it seems to me like it's a better, it's better to have it integrated than not. I could be wrong, but that's what it felt like to me back when I was using it more. Yeah, and comp is, it, it just looks kind of bad when things go wrong. Yeah. Like when, you, when you have your title bar disappearing or you have screen tearing or something like that. Yeah. So, Lindsay, something I didn't try. You mentioned before where you click the plus and yeah, you, you get the extra workspaces. Um, and I fill up four workspaces. And then you have that uh, when you go into that activities and, and you get the overview mode, then there's the minus superimposed in the centre of each workspace. If you've got applications open... Oh, that minus didn't show, did it? I was going to say, what happens if you click the minus and you have applications open on that workspace? Do they all disappear? But no, you can't see that minus if you've got something open. Don't worry about that question. Hey, uh, Monster B? Yeah. Looks like World of Goo is available for 64-bit in the default uh, world of goo setup dot one dot four one dot tar dot gz. There's a binary for a thirty two and for sixty four. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So, did you go ahead and buy it? Yeah, I went ahead and bought it. Twenty bucks. That, can you download both of them? You can download the tar dot gz, the dot deb, and the rpm all from the same screen. So that's oh, what cool. I did. I mean, I just figured I might as well because I wasn't sure what I was getting in each. But the tar dot gz is probably realistically the one I'll probably use, and it's got everything that you need. It looks like. I mean, to play the game, not to rewrite it or anything, but, you know, it's got all the all the files. That's pretty cool. Would you pay a penny? <laughs> well, yeah, they wouldn't allow, like, the half-cent thing. You went all the way out. Yeah, I went to a, a one-cent because I couldn't uh, couldn't talk them down. They're, they're, there was a flaw in their uh, their donation page. Wouldn't wouldn't allow fraction values. No, I paid 20 bucks. That's what their, their suggested donation was. Well, I'm going for 10. Yeah, I'll just have to eat, like... Uh, SpaghettiOs for the next week. <laughs> That's fine. Well, is that it for your topic, Peter? Yeah. I'm definitely going to try it. I like KDE, and I doubt if anything can, you know, pull me away from KDE. But I, I do like the screenshots. I mean, I'll try it on on the Triple E. It looks like a, a netbook screen to me. That's what I keep thinking. Every time I see a screenshot, I'm like, is this on their netbook or is this like the normal? distribution, but now I understand it was the activity screen, I guess, that we're seeing. Yeah, I mean, I need that KDE or name person, but I just like to play with all this stuff, and once again, it's a case of, you know, you never get a chance to get bored with it, like Windows. Um, yeah. There's always something new happening. We want to know how to run additional accessions, you know, we can have, instead of having two open, now we go to three. We have Flexbox, KDE, and GNOME runner. Well, I just can't wait till it's uh, standard on Ubuntu. When does I say 10... When did I say 10.04? I think it was only 4, wasn't it? Really? It's that close? Yeah, Fedora 13, Clark 2. I thought I read. When's Fedora 13 due out? They should be the two first um, distributions that release it as, you know, standard packages. Because that's a year from now, isn't it? Um, well, 10.04 must be April, isn't it? Yeah, April like next April. year. Yeah. I guess that's not that close. It, sound, it feels close. It'll be right when, around the corner, you know. I mean, it's... When you're as old as Ads and me, that's just a couple of sleeps. Trust me, time flies <laughs> when you get to our age. No, yes. <laughs> well, uh, Az is still awake. Go ahead, Az, with your story. 
Okay. Well, yeah, I was surprised to find that Puppy Linux is still alive and well and in active development. Love Puppy Linux. The fellow that, that originally came up with the Puppy Linux, uh, Barry Collar, he is he is back at the project now. He uh, he tried to retire, but uh, his replacements found it was too much work, so uh, he's back uh, doing it himself. But while he uh, was in uh, hiatus from the project, uh, he had time to uh, play around with a system that uh, he has named Woof, W-O-O-F, allows him to uh, build the puppy uh, packages uh, from uh, from any of the, the distros out there, whether it's Debian, Ubuntu, Arch, Slackware, you name it. And uh, their new release, uh, which is uh, 4.3.1, it has a... A modern kernel in it, uh, two point. Uh, oh, let's see, what is it? Uh, it's a two point six point three thirty point five kernel. Uh, it's got the SMP kernel for. Uh, it'll work uh, for multiprocessors uh, as well as uh, the uniprocessors. Well, puppies always always kind of move to the beat of a different drum. Looks like they're 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 coming along as far as maturing. Now, I don't know how much of that cut out or if I'm still on the air. No, you're still on. Yeah, and it didn't cut out. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, nobody was interrupting me. I couldn't tell. We're too bloody scared because we know how big your chainsaw is. Um, (laughs) I did note that Puppy still includes, is it PPP for dial-up modems in there somewhere? I'm pretty sure it does, yeah. Yeah. Which, that's yeah, they, they still uh, they still support a dial-up modem, but uh, they'll also support uh, dial-up via 3G devices. Oh wow! Now I, I take it I've never had anything to do with Puppy, but Puppy's like um, really good for it's small. Like you can put it on a um, the the disused blokes always play around with the little thumb drives, can't you? Yeah, but the cool thing about it is it yeah. doesn't feel yeah. like it. it. Like it feels like a normal. Great little desktop. It's I, I put it on a friend's old old IBM once, her ThinkPad, and I mean she was she was totally using it, loving it. Yeah, the only thing I was thinking is, say you do a lot of traveling, I don't know about over there, but over here, a lot of the the hotels and that don't offer Wi-Fi or wireless internet access. So if I was stuck in my hotel room, I could pull out my thumb drive, stick it in. I've got dial up there and on my laptop, and I could just use Puppy just to get on the internet too easy but he used this the other day yeah it it is easy <laughs> one thing nice about uh puppy is uh it will let you uh install it to a usb device it uh you know it only has a hundred megabyte download to start with but uh you can you can install the whole system on a usb device uh you know a, a usb key and uh you can move it from computer to computer too easy and they they are uh they are supporting uh, the EXT4 uh, uh, file system now, too. So, you know, they are in active development, and they are keeping up, it looks like. They they still kind of do things their own way, but uh, nothing says that way is absolutely wrong. It just happens to be different. Well, that's that's all I got on it. Well, it looks like their website's been updated, too. Yeah, it actually looks like a... Yeah, well, you, you go over and... Uh, well, on Barry's blog, uh, he, he's actually already blogged tomorrow. Of course, he's in Australia, so uh, that is tomorrow there today. But uh, so you know, he's he's very active yet. I just wish I had the time to try out all these things out. It'll be on a USB key here this weekend, and uh, 
I'll tell you how it turned out. Jerry Lindsay, did you know that GNOME 3 has a built-in video desktop recorder? I did not know that. Ah, I knew something that you didn't. First time ever. <laughs> <laughs> All you got to do is hit, I think it's Alt-Control-Shift-R, and that'll start it, and you get a little red dot flashing in the Well, that's very nice. Yeah, it is. That is cool. Just, yeah. I haven't tried it. Yeah. Try it, watch it crash. <laughs> Don't be nasty. You've got to give a bit of GNOME love on this show occasionally. No, I just know how those desktop recorders are, especially in like in a, in a you know, alpha kind of software. I would I'd just get ready for the crash. I must admit I was going to boot into it to do this show, and I, I just thought better of it. Yeah, right. <laughs> Is that it, As, for that one? Yeah, that's, uh, you know, uh, it's short and sweet like puppy. All right, and uh, let's move on to J-Man. All right, I've been uh, reading this magazine called Open Source, where the E is actually a three. You got off of that, that off of one of my picks for one week. Do what? You got that from one of my picks. That was one of my picks one week, I think, for, for either TIT or Linux Cranks. Is that how you found out about that magazine? Uh, I don't even know what you're talking about. Okay. <laughs> he doesn't listen I, to the show. Oh, okay. <laughs> <I do. laughs> Okay, because I mentioned that magazine because it just it just recently I mean its first issue was like I don't know maybe two months ago now but uh, and I had mentioned it but please continue. They focus on uh, unified computing, which is uh, basically this term for uh, virtualization, networking, storage, pretty much anything that goes on in a data center. But it's very professional quality, uh, advertisement supported. Uh, they have you know lots of topics about uh, the data center. They they brought up this KAOS, which I've never even heard of until now. But apparently, you just replace your kernel, and you have a, a different system that that's built off of KVM for virtualization. And it's it's very professional, I think. And they do all their work with uh, the GIMP and uh, Scripus. And that's issue three, right, for KAOS? Right. So the chaos thing, it's just it's a it's like a KVM optimized kernel or something, and then you pop that in, and then you can run all your virtualizers off of that. Or is that what you're? Is that what it is? Or is it something completely different? Yeah, uh, it's a, it's a hypervisor, but they they use the KVM that's already in the kernel. I'm not sure what benefit there is. That sounds cool. I'll have to look into that. I'm gonna have to download the magazine to find the link to the chaos. Doing a search, I can't find the website. Wow, you're right. <laughs> be a super top secret project. Yeah, apparently it's carbonmountain.com. Is it really just a botnet or something? <laughs> well, that's the link. I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, I see it. It is. He's right. Yeah, this looks very interesting. I mean, I don't understand much of it, but but yeah, this is cool. I probably don't even have a CPU can, that can do all this stuff, but but it does look neat. Am I, am I right, uh, Jay Lindsay? For, for KVM to really work, you have to have a CPU that has, like, a certain flag. Like, when you do a cat on the on the proc CPU info, there's there's a certain flag that you need to look for to see if it can actually do, like, KVM for real. Right, you need to have at least uh, VME support. VMX would be better. Okay. Oh, okay, so you can technically do it with VME, as long as your kernel has all the KVM stuff compiled into it. Right. Cool, okay. Anything else, J-Man? Nope, that's it for me. Cool. Let's move on to 3.30. I don't know how mine will be taken. I may be shot down like 
Peck Wool was last time, but uh, <laughs> is anyone interested in hearing about the uh, EFF bailing out a couple of guys who were hacking their TI calculators? Not really. Not really. All right, well then continue on, gentlemen. Nah. <laughs> we're just kidding. <laughs> Let's hear um, it. Don't be so touchy. I wouldn't. Jeez. <laughs> I, uh, I found this, uh, was posted on Boing Boing by my man crush, Cory Dockero. Um, basically, some guys were writing their own software for the the TI calculators, and because the calculators perform a signature check, which is a, a type of DRM, they somehow had violated the Digital Millennium Copyright Act and were being sued under the terms of the DMCA by TI. And the EFF came to their rescue, and they actually won the case, and TI had to leave them alone. I'm posting a link right now. So I just wondered everyone's thoughts on uh, the legalities of reverse engineering and thoughts of how pissed they'd be if you know they were writing their own calculator software and were sued by TI for it. Wouldn't it just be so much more constructive for TI to knock on their door and say, hey, cool, you're doing some really interesting programming here of you know, what can we learn from what you're doing or something? I mean... They really have to waste their time on suing these people. I mean, give me a break. Either ignore them or leave them alone. That's... These are their best customers. Yeah, exactly. suing them. They really enjoy it. Yeah, they like. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. It's crazy. I mean, yeah, it is kind of a dick move to you know sue the hobbyists that also buy your product. Yeah, because the thing was is you had to buy the hardware to be able to run the software that these guys were writing. Yeah, so it's like a great advertisement for the hardware, if, if nothing else. And therefore, you legally own it. How can we yeah. sue Linux Cranks listeners? Can we figure out some clause somehow to start suing people for listening to our show? <laughs> um, if they're listening, well, or if they have our our show on their computer, you know, we could like we could extort money from them somehow. Okay, I got it. I got it. If they also listen to my show, they're getting sued. Perfect. It's like some kind of conflict of interest or something. We don't have yeah, to worry about that. three people. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and all three of them are on this show right That's now. That's a condition that's hard to meet. <laughs> and one of them is Pegwall. <laughs> I don't listen to my own show. That just means that, yeah, one of you listen because I download and then immediately delete it. <laughs> so when we find the one listener, we're going to sue the shit out of you. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Pete. <laughs> Just looking at this article, there seems to be a problem that um, calculators have to have a certain certification or something. Well, for for some, it says here the big testing groups allow only certain certified calculator models, and that if if these are one of the certified models and they're found to be easily hacked or whatever, they can end up being decertified, which I suppose could let, uh, lose a lot of money for Texas Instruments or whoever this was. So maybe that could be why they're so worried about it. Yeah, but should it be an issue that is, you know, if nothing else, is should it be the DMCA that people are, are taking the court over? I mean, couldn't just a simple violation of contract work? I mean, I, I think this is a gross misuse of the DMCA. Isn't any use of the DMCA a gross misuse of the DMCA? Well, no, I mean, yes, it's a shit law, but there are ways to use it that aren't, as to, like, exploitative as others. Yeah. But, like, as it says in the story here, the DMCA specifically allows for reverse engineering to create interoperable custom software. And 
Yeah, I'm sure that T.I. knew it, and T.I.'s lawyers knew it, but you, know, you take three or four college kids to court, they're all just going to pay up and shut up. Right, yeah. yeah but you get a, a great organization like the EFF, which, um, I, I full disclosure, I pay them money to be a member. Um, but you get wonderful people like that coming to your aid. These uh, these cases turn around pretty quickly. I'm glad to see this didn't fall completely on its face like Pegwolves did. I don't remember <laughs> Pegwolves from last week. I have no memory of That's that. That's how bad it was. There's something about wearing the, one uh, shirt. The see-through bloody looking through friggin' walls. I'll never forget that story. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Oh, that <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that was pretty bad. <laughs> it could have been, been about having a uh, lemon tuna mouth. That could have been the story. <laughs> that was really bad. Get to the bin, 330, for even mentioning lemon tuna mouth on this show. Yeah, I mean, that was like a shameless self-promotion or whatever that was. Uh, in fact, I'm starting to think we should ban people even if they mention on Linux Cranks. Works for me. Well, then, then it, let it be written this day, the uh, 18th day of the year 2009 of the Lord, or whatever they say. What do they say? In the, In the year of our Lord. Of our Lord. Yeah, that'll do. Isn't is that what I mean? I'm just You're not atheist. into what religious. Do you, what do you care? Yeah, thank God. <laughs> I mean... We have a laugh track over there? <laughs> like, is that even real? <laughs> No, I just, I just had me a good chuckle. Oh, okay. Somebody's tickling them. But, uh, <laughs> one, go ahead. Since 3.30's in the bin. It's your turn. I don't have a story, remember? Uh, Get to the bin. Get to the bin. Jeez. <laughs> what are you even doing? Put him in the bin, too. Well, you come onto a show where, like, the point of it is to have a story, and you don't bring a story. Nah, actually, I don't just... pick on Pegwell, because he's got a really good, um, cow. <laughs> I just come on to offer my opinions, and everyone can hear my lovely voice. And oh yeah, there is that. You know. <laughs> well, go ahead and give us your command of the week. It is VN stat. Let me actually pull it up here. When you first write it, it'll say no database found, nothing to do. Use you know dash dash help for help, of course. Um, it'll say a new database can be created with the following command: VN stat dash u space dash i Face, whatever interface, like, uh, you know, ETH0 or, you know, WLAN0, whatever. And you can also have it do it where, uh, instead of just, like, sampling how much information is going across that interface, you can have it just give you real-time output of how much bandwidth is going across that. Then, say, like, in an hour after you're done using it, you can just hit Control-C, and it'll give you a full output of all the bandwidth you've used in that hour. And, and, um, you have a, did you type that into IRC and I'm just missing it? Because I, I'm uh, not, no, I, didn't. Uh, I probably should. Do that because I keep trying it and I'm not getting that that command exists. You'll probably have to. You might it. have to install it. Um, yeah. I, I wanted this, I, when I was set up my asterisk box, I wanted to see, uh, the throughput it could handle, how many people it could host on it. And I was trying to get some idea of, what sort of bandwidth each person was using, and this is the thing that Pegwell told me to install on it. And um, yeah, it, it, on, it didn't come standard on Zeus or Arch or uh, CentOS, so you probably have to install it, Cloud 2. Okay, okay. But it's really good. It, uh, I, I used to use NetStat, I think it was. 
That's what I was going to mention. Yeah, it sounds a lot like Netstat, but it's... Ah, uh, yeah, this is heaps better. Cool. Uh, well, maybe not heaps better, but it's, it, it's a lot easier to read. Yeah, yeah. It gave me exactly what I wanted to know and then gave you the um, an overview at the end of it all, uh, like your maximum throughput, your minimum, your average. Uh, wow, cool. And, yeah, typically what people are going to need. Are you? I mean, is it is it its own program or is it like some kind of shell script using Netstat on the back end? Because I mean, all that stuff I'm pretty sure can be gotten from Netstat. It's just you have to put about a dozen switches in to to get to that point. Unless I'm wrong. No, you're probably I'm right. Sure. You I'm pretty sure. Yeah, because I mean, I I used to have to use Netstat a lot at my old job, and we, we I, I'm pretty sure we got all that. It sounds like we got all that information. I wonder if the Netstat is just a more friendly way to use some of Netstat's features. Where did you find it, Pegwell? Do you remember? Was it just in the repo, or did you go to some website for it? I forget why I installed it or what I was looking for, but I did find it in the repos. Okay. I'm going to definitely look for that one. That's, that sounds pretty nice. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, that is pretty awesome. I found the website. I'm going to paste it into IRC for you once to be. I just installed it. Oh, okay. It says, unable to write to database. Yeah, you have to do the, the initialization thing, the dash U, dash whatever. Try running it as root. Oh, okay. Harley says he just installed it using SPOPKG. Well, I mean, actually, yeah, I didn't even think to look in SPOPKG, so I guess that is good to know. On, on, on the subject, Clartu, your uh, Bad Apples episode on Slackware was really good, and you're going to follow that up, aren't you, with SPOPKG on your next one? Yeah, sure am. looking forward to Very much. Not that I listen. I know. I, I, I assume you're just going off of what you've heard on NIRC or something. Yeah. The word you're like, oh, I'll to that in, to Klaatu to make think that I listen to his show. I ran into a fellow in the main street of Bateman's Bay who was talking about the bad apple, so I stopped <laughs> yeah. and listened to him. <laughs> <laughs> wow, cool. Yeah, I guess, I guess you tend to overhear conversations about the bad apples just in the ra- most random places. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Ha said you're the one who inspired him to use SBOPKG. Awesome. No one should boot Ha. I think he's a bit of a suck. I know, me Sucking too. Sucking up the clutch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We don't put up with that yeah, stuff. Well, and Snack Machine B, he just said it was a good episode as well. A little bit too uh, much there. <laughs> yeah. He gets a reprieve because he's been hanging around long enough to oh, okay. see the error in his ways. But Ha's, he's a noob. Boot him. Yeah. yeah, let's get rid of him for sure. That and you know everybody loves Snacky with his lumpy head. <laughs> Clatu, why don't you go ahead and give your command of the week and drive these guys crazy? Um, yeah. well, I don't know if they can handle it. No, actually, mine is nowhere near as cool as VN uh, stat. But I was just—it's more of a, a, a command line flag of the week. Everyone obviously knows Tail, right? T A I L, the show, the last by default ten lines of. Uh, a log file or a document or whatever. But the, the switch that I use a lot of times on on tail is a dash F, which means that it's going to follow that document, meaning that basically uh, if you if you do a tail dash F, you know, and let's say, um, now I can't think of a, of a log file that I do this on, but on any given log file um, in, a, uh, in, a, in a terminal window, then each time a new line is written to that log file, that pops up on your terminal uh, window. So you're looking at that file, you know, in real time as it occurs. So when you're when you're doing like network testing and stuff like that, or as much as I know about that sort of thing, 
you know, if you're like um, trying to see if if um, if if you're getting data from someplace or something like that, you know, you can do a tail on some on a log file and see you know what kind of entries are being made to to that log file. So it's actually quite handy um, for for kind of monitoring what's happening on your system as maybe you're doing some other kind of test. That's tail-f, as in follow. I've seen a um, plasmoid. I can't remember what. You've got a log file on TTY1, haven't you? Some file. If I flip over to TTY1 now, it'll be, a lot of information will be continually getting written to the terminal. That is true, yeah. Yeah. Now, I've seen a plasmoid that continually printed that out, so I'd imagine that's exactly what it was using. It probably is. You're probably right. Yeah. yeah, that's a good one to know, actually. I used to use it a lot at my old job where we were, I forget exactly what I was doing. I think I was having to do testing to see uh, if the Avahi or, or whatever, you know, that yeah, the Avahi thing, you know, what was being picked up or something like that, or, or error messages. And I had to, like, tail-f all these different files to see what kind of error messages or, or confirmation of messages was being written out to the log file. And it really made the, the, the job a lot easier. On my Debian box here, I have a, a command just called tail f, with you know without the dash. It's, oh, okay. I don't know if it's a Debian thing. Let me look at the man page. You mean it's tails, or or you mean it's you you just type in tails? Yes, it's tails. Tails. It's probably like an alias of that. I don't know. Let me let me type. Yeah, it's two in arch same thing, but it's probably two different commands, surely. Yeah, I think you're right. It is a different command. I'm doing a man on it now. But it's, no, it it does the same thing. Yeah, it does the same thing. Yeah, follow the graph of the log file. Yeah, there you go. It says it's a, it's part of the um, util linux.ng package. Oh, okay. Yeah, I see, I see. Yeah. Util it's dash. similar to tail f, tail space dash f, but does yeah. not access the file when it is not growing. So I take it it doesn't use any system resources. Is that what it means? Yeah, probably. I'll bet you're right. I'll bet that's exactly... It's, that sounds kind of nice. So it's almost like a... Almost like a daemon or it goes to sleep until it, it I guess it makes that file ping it when that file changes maybe. Something this has the side effect of not updating uh, the access time for the file so if the file system flash does not occur periodically when no log activity is happening. Yeah, well for all intensive purposes I think for our what we want it for either one's going to work. Cool well I, I like tail better than tail-f then. I like them both. <laughs> okay. I like the name telf. Well, you know, TELF, I'm, I'm sure I could get it somehow, but the systems, the Unix systems that I was using at this other job was not Linux, and so I don't believe it had TELF, especially since I, I'm since it was in util-linux-ng, I, I really doubt that it had TELF on it. So I had to use tail-f anyway. So, Pegwall, you are no longer Pegwall. You are TELF now. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I am one shirt V and stat Peggy. <laughs> Well, I guess we learned something today, huh? I think we all learned a little something today. Well, let's learn some more. How about you, Peter? What do you got for us? X XEV. Have you heard of that? Which is the X Event Viewer. And what that's going to do, if you you run it, it's going to open up a little window, and in that window it's going to continually print out all the events that are happening in X. Um, now, typically, if you just run XEV, you're going to have to have your cursor over in that window. Then you might hit uh, like the keys on your keyboard, and it's going to print out a heap of data. If you start clicking the mouse, it's going to print out a heap of stuff as well. 
you can pass options to it so it doesn't happen in that particular window. It happens in any window you want, I think. Now, what do you use it for? Good question. I typically use it... These days, a lot of remote controls you don't need lurk. You can just plug them in. They register as a USB keyboard and mouse. Then when you push buttons on them, you really don't know what signals it's sending. So what you can do is start up XEV and start hitting buttons on your remote and you're going to see stuff like key press event, serial blah blah blah, synthetic blah 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 and you're going to get about six or seven lines but the, the line you're typically going to be interested in is going to say something like key code and it'll give you a number and it'll go key symbol and that might be P if you're hitting the play button or the pause button typically the remote might be sending the P so it's one way of doing that the other thing you can actually use this for if you have a multimedia keyboard and for some reason you have to have those keys going but you don't know what they're doing, you can start this up and start hitting all those keys on, on your multimedia keyboard. You're probably going to get a key code but you may not get any key symbol. What you have to do then is you've got to go and look up. Uh, there's only X amount of key symbols you can use, I think, but that to actually get in and tell you how... Or, you're going to have to also modify your XMOD map file, I think, is the other thing you've got to do. But I can't get into all that now. But if you're interested in doing that sort of stuff, do a Google for XEV, XMOD map, and that should get you started in that. So there you go. Oh, just one more. I'm going to set myself for the bin here. Because I heard Dan talking about um, trying to see if his remote was working the other day. They were using IRW, but IRW will only work if you have Lurk configured correctly. The simplest one to do is use Hexdump. Has anyone used that before? Joe Lindsay, have you ever heard of that? You, where you just do a Hexdump space dash C, then space, um, then the device, and for a remote, you, you might, device might be dash dev dash remote, um, Start pushing buttons and it'll dump all the hexadecimal output to the to the um, terminal and at least you know then your remote's working and you don't need Lurk or set up to do that. So there you go. So do, do you actually use um, XModMap really frequently? I'm glad to. I've never used it. Oh. Never. Um, no, I typically use XEV for the remotes. I, I muck around a hell of a lot with remote controls. So that's where I've come across it and used it. Um, but XEV, uh, if you want your... I, I mean, it, do, just do a Google for XEV. It can be used for a hell of a lot more than that. It, it's showing every... It's not just keyboards. It's showing everything that's happening in that in your X session. When you move a mouse, you'll see a heap of data go across the screen. Um, I think when you, you highlight windows, you know, you bring them to the forefront and background and all that it's telling you everything but unfortunately I don't need to know any of that shit because I wouldn't know what to do with it all Yeah, I've, I've used XEV and I've never known really what to do with it but that's that's interesting to hear what you actually do use it for, it's pretty cool Yeah, yeah Jesse James has just done his output there, the XMOD map and that, see where it goes key code 178 equals okay, that's the key code that you'll find in that X event viewer so then you can associate it and see he's got there the XF86 audio raised volume. I'll put a link that I've got, and these lists, Monster Bean, you might put in the show notes, these are the only things you can use, um, the multi, the 
symbols or the, whatever you call them, the references that X will understand. You done with yours? Yeah. All right, very cool, Peter. Now let's move on to azimuth. Well, uh, I want to revisit the screen command since uh, we, we had a discussion about this this week. Uh, so, somebody who I was sure knew all about screen turned out knew nothing. And uh, so I got to thinking, well, well maybe there's uh, uh, a lot of people that don't know about screen. Who was that, G-Man? Uh, yeah, well, I, I I wouldn't know, but it starts with M uh, and ends with B. Uh, no idea. You fell in the rest. <laughs> yeah, I don't either. But, uh, no, well, screen is a Windows manager. Uh, at uh, it's not a GUI Windows Manager. You don't even have to have uh, XORG installed or, or X uh, on the machine, uh, but you can use just the Screen Windows Manager and have multiple terminals without uh, logging into uh, every terminal you open. You just uh, log into one terminal and you keep opening different windows for it uh, and add what you need. There's uh, some very, very, the very basic commands is, is really all anybody <laughs> pretty much needs on it, but it, it has a quite complete set of issues with it, and it will do, it will do amazing things. If you, if you read the, well, here, let, let me uh, uh, paste the, uh, yeah, there's, uh, there's the, uh, the manual for it. You you read that, uh, and uh, you, you will find things that Screen will do that none of us may ever use. But uh, you should you should know at least the basic commands on it. The most basic one is uh, is the Screen dash ls or Screen dash list, which uh, you just do from the terminal, and it will tell you if you have a Screen session running and uh, detach uh, that that screen from wherever it is running with uh, the dash capital D command uh, in the, well, it's not the command, it's actually a switch on the screen command. It will it will detach that screen from, from any place that it is connected, and you can add the, the R command, or R switch to it, and it will reattach to the terminal that you have open. So whatever screen you have running, you can open it right there. Now, there's also a uh, dash X R command, which uh, will allow any screens that are running to still be running, but it will reattach them to the terminal you are in, and uh, that will allow uh, multiple uh, multiple uh, terminals on the same screen session, which is what I myself do a lot with uh, Arisi. I run Arisi in a screen, and uh, I attached to it with computers all over the place here and uh, never disconnect from it. It's uh, The screen session is always set and they're running and Arisi's running and uh, uh, I I can pick up uh, any computer on my LAN and uh, jump right into uh, the IRC uh, right where I left off and uh, most of the time nobody even knows that I've uh, moved from one computer to another. But uh, the, the beauty of screen is that not only uh, is uh, you know for for things that that you're actually running, but you can you can open a screen window with uh, the Control A C, 
and that, that will open a new screen window, and in that screen window, you can run another program. Uh, and it's completely independent, whatever you have running in the first screen. It's just like any window manager. You, you know, it bets off running by itself, and what you're, you're running in this window is running by itself. In fact, I even have uh, the uh, Lisa bot uh, from the IRC is running in a screen window all the time. Uh, which is uh, it's really convenient to get over if uh, if the bot screws up I can uh, I can just jump in do a control C uh, in that window and uh, stop the bot and restart it and it goes on about its merry business uh, connects back up again uh, you know I'll, I'll I'll be running along there you know this all SSH'd into uh, my uh, server and so I may have uh, one uh, window that's open into a uh, uh, as a super user to where I can uh, do, you know, root stuff over there. and uh, But it's it's sitting there running independent of, uh, of what's running in the other windows. And it is a Windows manager, but it is a text-based Windows manager as opposed to uh, uh, black box or, uh, or flux box or open box or uh, or or any anything else that would require X. Yeah, you can even you can split the screen horizontal and vertical, have different sessions going on in different on, on the different splits. It's a great program. I love screen. Yeah, anybody that that hasn't played with it, they they need to go play with it and and just go through the through the manual that I listed there and just try the different switches in it and watch it go crazy. because uh, you can you'll find things that it does that you just shake your head and say, "Well, wait a minute! I don't even need to have X running. I've got a well. <laughs> I've got some machines that it, it, it's kind of flaky getting X up and running on. But uh, guess you you put screen in them, and uh, you've you've got uh, all the all the advantages of uh, of a window manager uh, without the the graphical problems that you end up with uh, on some of these uh, display cards that." Uh, yeah. yeah, you're not exaggerating. It's, it, it'll change the way that you use uh, your text console. That's for sure. And it's it's one of those it's one of those things. The more you learn about it, the more you find out that you never imagined it would do. Well, that's just like today. I was on my desktop, you know, connected to my free BSD box with screen in the chat room. I detached, took my triple E to the coffee shop today, and then connected. To my free BSD box again, reattached, and nobody nobody knew it. And I could look over and and see what was said in the chat room. I never missed yeah. anything. Yeah, that's cool. Well, uh, other than we just thought you was rude because you're ignoring us, but that's a different story altogether. Yeah. See, I was on my way to the coffee shop, and you guys were talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> but it's very handy. Is it? Do you know if it's really easy to change the default? Either the key binding, like the you know, because it's Control A and then whatever letter, to change it away from Control. Is it is it just a simple config file somewhere, or do you know, or if it's yeah, there's a there's a screen RC file dot screen RC oh, okay. file that uh, you need to go look at, and you can set up your key bindings in it. Cool. Some of those Control key bindings kind of override some of the default Bash key bindings, and I, I always found that kind of annoying. But other than that, I love it. We'll spend some time digging through the manual on it, and uh, you've, you've, especially after you've been using it for a while, and all of a sudden you see things that uh, 
Well, I wondered why it did that, and that that's how I can get past you know some little idiosyncrasy that uh, that you thought it had, and it it was all well. It turns out it was just yeah. uh, your operation of it. Yeah, yeah. And you only need screen on the one box you're connecting to. Yeah. Uh, yes. Of course, uh, I've, I've been finding uh, screen comes uh, uh, stock in uh, a lot of distros anymore. Yeah, I don't remember the last time I had to actually install it. There, but the only one I run it on is my server. Every, every, about everything else has got a GUI around here. Another one what? Uh, another like screen type application. I thought it was like called like Tux Window Manager. It's like very similar. I think I've heard it. Maybe I haven't. I don't think it's called Tux Window Manager though, unless there is one called that. But I think I know what you're. I think I know what you're talking about. But I heard the screen was quote unquote better. I don't know why. They just said use screen. It's better. I think you're thinking about Tmux. Yeah. How do you spell that? That's it's T M U X. Yep, that's it. Now can you? Well, never mind. I was gonna ask you about the colors, but that depends on on whatever terminal you're using, right? Yeah, if you have your terminal set to Linux colors or whatever, then that'll be used. And then if it's a text console, I guess it's just whatever settings you've got for your for that. Well, too, uh, now, now screen sets there and runs until you actually close it. And uh, if, uh, if you detach from a screen session, the screen session is still sitting there running. Uh, where you can you can come back in and and reattach to it either from the computer that it's running on or or you can SSH into it and you can go right back to the session that's just been sitting there uh, idling along uh, doing its own thing uh, even though it had uh, no terminal connected to it. Yep, it is an amazing application. Perfect. We're we're out of time. Any anything else on this one before I end the show? All right, you can send us feedback at feedback at titradio.info. And remember to visit titradio.info for the AUG feed and show notes. And I'm going to say another tit is in the can. Good night, everyone. Bye, everybody. Good night. night.
listening to Hack the Public Radio. HPR is sponsored by caro.net, so head on over to caro.net for all your hosting needs. happened between my legs.